until until the day that you die, how much will a can of soda cost to you? Because I know what it cost to me. Like when I was a kid, when my dad would give me like money to go buy a soda oh, from man. the machine. You're talking to to a, a an ancient human here. <laughs> what, I mean, I'm just what curious. did it cost? Yeah. Ah, what did we used to put in a machine to get a a, a dime? <laughs> okay, <laughs> to get okay. a soda. Yeah, all right, yeah, not much. Yeah. Ben, how much is a soda for you? Seventy-five cents. Interesting. Always. I yeah. think a soda is a dollar. There you go. <laughs> yeah. and, and Grace is saying two dollars. So. <laughs> That's incredible. Hey everybody, I'm your host Stephen Pulverin and this is Hodinkee Radio. 2019 has been a really big year for us here at Hodinkee. Um, we published a book, we published two magazines, we've done a few dozen podcasts, and we've written over a thousand articles for the web, uh, and that really just scratches the surface. Uh, it's been a really big year for the rest of the watch world too, and I thought it'd be fun to end the year by sitting down with some members of the Hodinkee team and getting a sense of what 2019 means for watches. So the first part of this episode is going to be my conversation with John, James, and Cole. We play a little game that Gray, our producer, set up for us, uh, where we kind of get into asking some big questions about our years and the year in watches. It's a fun way to dig into some of the finer points, uh, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. After that, there's a chat I had with Ben and Joe looking at kind of the big picture, asking what are we going to remember about 2019 in watches? What is the long-term impact of this year in the watch world? And what we hope and expect to see in the future. Uh, Those guys both provide some amazing insights. They come at the industry from totally different angles. Uh, And I'll speak for myself. I learned a lot talking to them. On a personal note, I also just want to say a thank you to everybody who's listened this year. Um, It has been so much fun making the show. I've gotten to have some really amazing conversations, both with people on the show and with people about the show. Uh, This is really a labor of love for myself and I know for Gray as well, who's sitting across from me right now. Uh, And we can't wait to keep producing the show in 2020. We've got some amazing stuff lined up for you guys, and uh, we really couldn't do it without your support. So without further ado, the last episode of Hodinkee Radio of this decade. This week's episode is presented by Leica Camera. Stay tuned later in the show to learn about the new SL2. For more, visit LeicaCamera.com. Final recording of 2019. Boom, here we are. All right, guys. Uh, I got James. Yo. I got Cole. Hola. And I got John Buse. What's up? We also have uh, Mr. Greg Corhonan, our producer here, uh, off mic. I tried to get him on mic, but he's just going to yell so you can hear him in the background. Uh. <laughs> Foley work. Okay. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's not... I was expecting a hello, but... I have but, an Excel sheet okay. of about 200 expressives. <laughs> we'll record those later. <laughs> We're going to... We're going to make a gray soundboard. It's going to uh-huh. be great. It'll be an Easter egg for uh, for longtime listeners. You're getting punched. Now oh. you're punching. Punch harder. <laughs> Punch softer. <laughs> All right. Let's do this thing. So we're going to do a little uh, year in review game. Uh, Gray put together a nice little game for us to play here on a cold, rainy, dreary New York afternoon. 
Uh, so I have a tin bowl here. You can uh, hear. There, you can hear the uh, the questions swishing around inside the bowl. The rustling uh, of paper. The rustling of paper, the most interesting sound in the world. Um, all right, so we got a bunch of questions here. Uh, what we're going to do is we'll pass the bowl around. Each person pulls a question out, asks the question, then the people to your right start the answers. We'll go around in a circle. You answer the question yourself, and then you pass the bowl to your right, and we keep moving. That sound, uh, that sound good to everybody? Yeah. Gray knows what these questions are, so if you just pull something out of here and just make up a question off the top of your head, Gray will know. I'm counting on you. Counting on you, Coronan. Um, Cool. You know what? Uh, John, you want to start? You want to start us off here? Sure. Sure. All so right. I just take a question out and just, read it? Yeah, you take the question out read it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, are the rules clear? Abundantly clear? Uh, clear enough, I guess. All right. <laughs> Best thing you did with a personal watch in 2019, a special moment made with your watch. Ooh. Uh, do I answer this one? Yeah, man. You're well, up. Something that was pretty cool that I did with a watch. I took my Omega Seamaster, uh, the Bond Pro, yeah. and went uh, exploring in two places, swimming in Iceland and the cenotes in Tulum. I thought that was cool. Very nice. Now, if these instructions are clear, I take this bowl from John. No, no, no. James answers the question. We keep going. Oh, we need to God. do this again. Okay. Then after John oh, answers, he passes you the bowl. Okay, okay. okay. All right. A quick nap. When everyone else is up to speed <laughs> on how this game works, <laughs> someone throw something at me. Uh, yeah, so for me, I, I got a chance to write about uh, one of my, probably my favorite car in existence for the magazine. And with that, I, I brought a watch that I'm building memories into, and that's my Explore 2. Nice. Uh, I'm going to go with buying a watch actually. So, uh, for the launch of Hodinkee Japan, which I worked on, uh, most of this year, um, I bought a grand, a vintage Grand Seiko in Tokyo. Um, I've wanted a Grand Seiko for a long time. Couldn't make up my mind whether I wanted something vintage, something modern, a modern reissue of something vintage. You got, you got a lot of good, a lot of good options when it comes to Grand Seiko. Um, and it was my first trip to Tokyo, and I figured this was this was the right way to mark something that was a, a personal milestone for me, but also a, a professional milestone, you know, launching Hodinki Japan. So, uh, yeah, I've got my nice uh, vintage Grand Seiko now, and every time I look at it, I think fondly of Tokyo. No, that's great. Um, hmm, for me, it's also going to be buying a watch. I bought a watch that was kind of on you know my dream list for a long time this year. Uh, it was a GMT Master II, and I took delivery of it uh, uh, over... Uh, Fourth of July weekend, and then nice. I just like I wore it like taking pictures of it the whole weekend. You know, while I was grilling, while I was Batman Jubilee bracelet, exactly right? Batman Jubilee bracelet. And I, yeah, I just kind of like made that weekend all about like enjoying that watch. Sweet, yeah. All right, Cole, what do you do now? If memory serves. I pick a question from the bowl here, and I read that question aloud. Nicely done. And then I will answer it. No. Nope. 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 James will answer the <laughs> James will answer the question. Guys, James. James yeah. is about to jump out that window here. We gotta. We gotta get on, right. get on our game. Here, here it is. What's your favorite Instagram post from your own account this year? Can be any post, watch related or not. For mine, it's also car based, like the last one. Although I was wearing a great watch, the same watch as the last one. Uh, for this trip, it was uh, February marked uh, kind of the end of my run as editor uh, at large for Nouveau Magazine in Vancouver. 
and one of my last jobs was to cover, uh, sadly, you know, a real tough day in, in, in the life of an automotive journalist, uh, to cover the launch of the McLaren 720S Spider in Arizona. You really, you really do God's work, James. Yeah. Somebody's got to do the heavy lifting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were on essentially a resort in Arizona. The resort had incredible chicken wings. I mean, like, and if, if I say they're incredible, these are 10 out of 10 chicken wings. Okay. They were, like, cut in a special way, so you didn't really interact with the bone were like you fringed? would in a normal bone, maybe. I don't know. I'm, okay. That's, that's the, not bone my was, zone. the bone was still on there? But yeah, it was still there, but it was a little bit more like eating a rib. Okay. Yeah. I ate as many as they would prepare for me in any one <laughs> sitting. And you I went also... Full, full Ron Swanson? I would, like... All oh, yeah, of your bacon and eggs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid you might have misheard me, son. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was you know it was just one of those trips where we were essentially set loose in in Arizona in a pair of McLarens. To be fair, it was a 720s one day. It was the 600 LT Spider the next day, and that was on a track. So let's just say those those cars on that day, incredible weather, some pretty amazing roads, and uh, I, I like a like I drive a car that's barely fast enough to keep me awake but with somebody else's very fast car i like a car that'll make your hand shake like something's just like it's it's too much and i'll never own a car like that which is probably smart and wise and legally uh, responsible but that that was definitely like uh one of my favorite posts so it's this it's this really fantastic color a bluish green 720s nice we'll uh by the way we'll link up to all of these in the in the show notes so people can see these but uh Mine is a post from June 28th. Uh, it's a picture I took out the window of the Louvre in Paris. Um, it has nothing to do with watches. Um, I took a, a Leica M7 on this trip and decided to to kind of dip my toe into shooting film, which I haven't done regularly in probably 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And uh, this is one of those pictures where I, like, I got this back from my lab and was like, oh, shit like i'm i'm gonna shoot everything on film now um it it was a really rainy day it's a black and white image um just the way you get the sort of like texture of the sky and the trees in this building um again like i saw this and was like oh oh this is a different thing and this is a thing i really want to be doing uh it's probably my favorite picture i made this year it's of a place i love so yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with that oh cool um, so I'm just scrolling through my feed and I see, uh, just a bunch of photos that I posted while on my honeymoon, uh, with my wife in, uh, February. And, uh, we, there's just some great photos here of her. We're out, you know, to eat. We went to, uh, an elephant sanctuary. Um, there's a picture that I just, I just perched a Negroni on a table by the beach in Koh Samoy and took it in portrait mode. Um, nicely done. So there's <laughs> as, uh, as a little plug for our friends at Apple there. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, and I'm just, uh, you know, kind of reliving those memories as I scroll through. So, uh, not one post, I would say just a handful of posts from uh, that trip. Nice. So for me, uh, it's again, a series of pictures. It's, I, uh, I, again, like James, this is about cars. I managed to finally acquire my dream car this year. Uh, so I found myself taking pictures of that a lot and posting them. Cause obviously take, what is this car? It's a 85 911 Targa. Very nice. But this ain't your average Targa. It's got some work done to it. And um, yeah, I know that sounds, that's, I know we're, I'm going to get blasted for this. Hodinky, air-cooled Porsche, whatever. But it's the truth. I'll own it. Uh, yeah, I've been, been, been shooting that car and posting pictures. I'm, I'm in love with it. So, yeah. Very nice. All right, James. 
to the right. bowl, you're Time up. Time to pick a new question. Yeah, let's go. I thought you knew the rules. I'm trying to keep you guys up to speed. That's all. <laughs> all right, I got a good one here. In 2019, which brand punched above its weight? Ooh, interesting. That is a good one. I no, think that would be a watch brand. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, PepsiCo. Cereal, uh, maybe? A cereal brand. Yeah, uh, yeah, dude. Honestly, Captain <laughs> Crunch, baby. Um, that's a cereal model. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. G- General Mills. Yeah. Is that what we're going with? Okay. All right. We were this guy. Firefest. Um, <laughs> Orville Redenbacher. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Should we just do? Should we just do a brands pod? Um, which brand punched above its weight? Um, you know, what? I don't want to. It's it's hard to say above its weight because they've been doing good stuff for a while. But I would say I know where you're going. Yeah, they're a brand that to me just absolutely killed it this year is bulgari yeah uh like they're a brand that has been on my radar for a while and i've i've known how good the octo finissimo watches are and i feel like every year at basel world i come away being like huh bulgari was one of my favorite appointments and i did not expect that this year to me they they created what is maybe the best watch of the year which is the the octo finissimo uh chronograph gmt um that watch is such a powerhouse and the fact that they came out with an octo that like instead of being a minute repeater or instead of being a qp or instead of having some like you know crazy tourbillon which is what they've been doing in the past they came out with like the two most consumer friendly complications in one watch and then they totally tricked it out like it has a peripheral rotor it's crazy thin the thinnest actually um to me this this year was Maybe maybe it wasn't punching above their weight, but this was the year where Bulgari was like, if anyone has any doubts that we're like really crushing it right now, it's time to sit down. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I would uh, I would agree. Uh, Bulgari definitely would be my pick there. Um, but there were others, uh, of course. I would say also, it's hard to say that a brand like Vacheron even could punch above its weight because they're so they're so big and so important. But late in the year, they dropped something like a dozen unique minute repeaters. Like it was nothing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was like super impressive, and that was something that happened late in the year, and maybe a lot of people didn't hear about because it didn't happen at a at a big trade show. Um, but yeah, I would say I would say Bulgari uh, from you know from a brand standpoint, punching above its weight. Um, you know what they've done over the last we'll say handful of years has been like transformative for the company as a watchmaker. So you know, hats off to them. Nicely done. Uh, I'm going to say Zodiac for me. Uh, I think they, they, they arrived on the scene. People forgot about them. The, uh, aerospace GMT that they came out with, you know, put them in a league that they hadn't been in a few years prior. Uh, I just love that watch. I cover that one at fossil worlds. Um, and yeah, exciting to see what they do going forward. But yeah, for me, definitely Zodiac James. Uh, for me, it's going to be Doxa. I mean, this is a year where they showed us a $70,000 solid gold chronograph, which well, <laughs> okay, that, I think that's like the essence of punching. Above yeah, the I, think, yeah. I, mean, I think you win. And, yeah. and, and in the same swing, that was a watch that like I was hard on, but I love like also they announced a, th- a sub thousand dollar dive watch that you can go out and buy comes on a bracelet has an edit movement 200 meters water resistance a screw down crown. It comes in all of their signature colors. So that's that's that's. I don't know. That's, you pick the weight class and which way they're swinging. They went both ways. They're just there's fists flying everywhere from Doxa right now. <laughs> I like that. There's fists flying everywhere from Doxa right now. All right, nicely done, guys. Uh, can I get that bold, James? 
So now Stephen takes the bowl. Now he produces a piece of paper from it. Ooh, this is a good one. What's a watch trend from 2019 you'd like to see more of in 2020? That I'd like to see more of. Um, well, I guess I first, first we've got to kind of identify a couple of trends from, from 2019, right? Yeah, I mean, pick one, yeah, and yeah, it's one that you want to see more yeah. of, hence the structure of the question. <laughs> yeah, you know what, fuck it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go all in, and I'm going to say there are a lot of salmon dials, and I would not mind seeing more salmon dials into 2020. Let's keep those babies coming. Mm. Ooh, okay. 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 Cool. Um, uh, man, I should. The problem was John's answer was so quick and he was ready. It didn't give me enough time to think. But what I will say here is on your uh, toes, man. All right. Here it is. Uh, trend that I liked seeing in watches is the really interesting trend of watches that are just really <laughs> really fantastic Classic. things um, okay no really uh they're steeped in watchiness here here here's something that uh i i just like the the way social media is affecting the watch world not not the way where everyone's buying the same thing yeah but the way that it's becoming more inclusive it's easier for people to discover things it's easier to interact with people uh so I like that. I like this sort of, uh, no, I do, man. It's, James, <laughs> James, James did a huge thumb down <laughs> as, our, as our resident misanthrope. Yeah. James is like interacting with people heavily um, over right? interacting. Well, yeah. like, like, all right. Stories have just have come from readers that just hit me up on Instagram and then they turn out to be great stories. And, uh, I think that's really cool. Nice. Uh, ceramic. I'd like to see ceramic in less expensive watches. Nice. I hope it trickles down. Trickle down economics. Yeah, I'm going to go kind of the opposite of that, which is people are making gold sport watches, and I'm I'm there for that. Uh, we've seen a lot more, and we've seen the companies that are doing it do more of it. So, like, Blancpain's really pushing uh, gold sport watches. Uh, our friends at Bulgari, the Octofinissimo now comes in gold. I still think of that as a sport watch. Is that weird? I don't know. No, it is. That sandblasted uh, gold is nice. The uh, Yeah, it's really nice. And like the, you know, we want to talk about uh, salmon dials, the salmon dial white gold Royal Oak. Yep. Uh, gold Aquanauts, gold Nautilus, uh, gold Rolex. You know, I, I'm there for gold sport watches. All right. <laughs> let's do, uh, let's do one more round. Let's go, John. All right. Now, how, how do I, do, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> the most expensive watch at auction in 2020 will sell for X. Over to Cole. Ooh. Uh, well, it was 38 million this year. 31 million. 31. I think it'll be less, actually. I think it'll be like way less, obviously. <laughs> I would agree. Way um, less. I'm just going to say $3 million, $5 million, whatever. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Right. I mean, how is there anything coming out that's going to be oh. maybe only watch? Maybe someone pulls something. There's no that. only watch that next year. Every year. Oh, yeah. Other year, yeah. Every All other right. Year. So, yeah. Five million dollars. Who knows? Yeah, I'd say like two and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go three point two. I think we'll see some complicated paddock. That's about it. I don't see anything else selling for more than that this year. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'll say three million, three million even. All right. I just have no idea what could be coming. Uh, yeah, like that's a up. strong result for a watch, but yeah. it's not yeah, like right. Like who again? The good, like Cole said, like who knows what could come up. Um. So yeah. But yeah, I think I think we're all feeling like low, low mill, low low mills. Yeah. All right, Cole. So I think I'm grabbing a little questy here from the bowl. 
And it is Frankenwatch 2019. Make your most gruesome yet awesome watch, taking features from a bunch of your favorites from this year. All right, so a little mashup. James, you're up. Dr. What's his name again? Young Frankenstein. What's that guy's name? Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Walk. Walk this way. (laughs) Okay, so I'm making... This is a... a, Do we think more like Dreamwatch, or are we just trying to see how many things I could pull from... I think Dream... Something you'd buy. Oh. Here's something that I I would never buy. Here's something that I'd like to buy. Uh, 5164A... The white dial, green camo strap. Ooh. Yeah. I would cop one. I'd have to quit. Like, that's I'd, dope. I'd probably just have to, like, buy it and then, like, commit seppuku. <laughs> it's over. Warrior and then staff. leave the watch to me, right? I guess, yeah. yeah. I'd will it. I'd be buried with it. Okay. Uh, if we're going, if we're going, like... <laughs> Why let somebody else have it, right? <laughs> if we're going, like, single brand, uh, I would go... I'm going to go back to AP. I'm going to say I want... A fifteen two zero two. I want that. I want that profile. I want the jumbo profile, but I want the combo titanium platinum case, the movement and the styling and the uh, complication of the RD two. So I basically want a smaller RD two, and maybe with a salmon dial. Oh heck, maybe. Oh, you're kind of. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's a zesty piece right that's there. Yeah, maybe piece. we make it like a small, super thin. Really funky, perpetual QP. Okay. I'm just looking at the the most recent post to go up on the site, and it's this steel corn devache. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what would this look like with a salmon dial and like a beautiful like taupe or gray uh, leather strap? I, I think it would look good. I think that is the answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think, think that's that, pretty doable too. I yeah. mean, right? That would be awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, for me, I would like the Black Bay 58 with Mercedes hands, not snowflake hands. Um, so take that from Rolex or other tutors of the past. And then BB 58 with a GMT function and bezel with no date. I know the no date thing sounds weird. I just BB can't do it. 58, Black Bay 58, GMT, no date. Mercedes Mercedes hands. Mercedes hands. All right, that's yeah. hot. I'd and cop. Potentially, that right there is a Franken watch. That yeah. it's a, it's actually it's a Franken watch that people probably could make for sure. Maybe. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, Movement's make a, a make you an aluminum a new, insert for you need the a new bezel. Movement. Yeah, you need a new movement, and probably the case can't be that small for that movement. Yeah, but so you can't make it. You could make it in the forty-one. That's what the movement yeah, was made. But out. I don't. I like the the fifty-eight yeah, size. The fifty-eight yeah. would require a fifty-eight size, and as a little Pan Am nod, white dial. Nice. White dial. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. You two, we got Johnny, Johnny White Dial one and Johnny White Dial two over here. Uh all right, James. Penultimate JWD1. question. JWD one. JWD one. JWD one. Yeah, there we go. Uh James, I've you are one gonna more. do second I've, to last, and then I'll ask yeah. the last question, and then we'll get you guys out of here. Yeah, I have I have naturally selected another selection from the bowl. When we look back from the distant future, what about watches in 2019 will we be nostalgic for? Ooh. Muy interesante. I think we're going to be nostalgic for how 
simple and sort of uniform the market was. I think it'll be somewhat positive nostalgia, somewhat, uh, I think we'll be a little refreshed in the future, but I think this year was still a market where like everything was kind of led by like steel sport watches on bracelets, mostly with blue or black dials. Like every, all the big stuff kind of looked and felt the same. And I think we're about to see a ton of fragmentation. And I think that's going to be good in some ways and bad in some ways. Uh, and I think we're going to look back and there's going to be this like, oh, wasn't that cute? Like everyone was buying the same thing and it was basically one one watch style and it came in a $10,000 price range. Like it was, you know, there there really wasn't that much variation. And it's going to be kind of charming as to the the simplicity of the watch market in uh, 2019. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I would say that people, you know, there were a lot of anniversaries this year. And so we have a lot of like really nice classically designed watches from Zenith. Um, there were really some really nice uh, Monaco's that came out this year. Um, and then the, the, there were just like, there were nice Rolex sports watches that came out. There was a Datejust 36 that came out. So I think just kind of like, you know, like bread and butter, beautiful, you know, tried and true classic designs, I guess, is something that uh, I could see us looking back and being nostalgic about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it the not too distant future or the distant future? Distant, the distant future. Distant future. Well, I think so. That is pretty much a dystopian reality. And I'm going to look back and realize that, hey, it was really nice to be able to make a living writing about something like watches because we're going to be in trouble. But, but all right, <laughs> Cole, bring bringing us down. Um, Perfect. However, on a lighter note or whatever, I think, um, <laughs> or whatever we'll be, we'll look back at those like kind of brands that we'll look back and think about how we were still discovering watch brands from like vintage watches. Like you still go on eBay and find stuff that you didn't know or this and that. Um, and also find deals and so forth. Maybe in the future, there'll be so much scholarship, so much knowledge shared that, you know, there's no, no sense of discovery in watches anymore. Nice. I was going to go with a similar vein as Cole. So I'll adapt quickly and just say that some people, um, the simpletons of the future will be nostalgic for daylight saving time, which I assume at some point someone will wise up and cancel. Yeah, that is, yes, correct. Why do we still have that? Uh, that's a separate pod. The why the hell do we still have daylight savings time pod? That's a, that's another show. I love when it gets dark out early. It's so great. That's the wrong take. I'm kidding. You're so wrong. I hate that's it. the worst take. <laughs> it's pitch black by four o'clock. Um, all right. I'm going to pull the last one here and then we will wrap up. Uh, oh, this is a good one to finish on. So you're starting your collection over from scratch. Which 2019 watch do you pick as your first piece of your new collection? John. Starting over from scratch as a as myself now or as a, a, you now. a whippersnapper? You currently have no watches. Okay. You got to buy one watch to start over. What do you buy? Okay. I'm, I'm either going to, I'm going to go in one of two directions. I'm going to either get uh, the watch I actually did buy, which is this, the aforementioned Rolex, uh, the GMT, or I'm going to go and uh, get another GMT that is also a chronograph and buy the Bulgari um, uh, Octo Finissimo. Nice. Good choice. Good choices. Strong choices. Cool. Um, the SPGK 005. Ooh, you love that watch. Grand I do. I love that watch. And uh, yeah, we just bought 
A, buy it because it's a limited edition, so you should buy it now. So you don't have to buy it on the secondhand market or whatever. But um, yeah, I think it's a good all around. I think you touched on it, that it could be an everyday watch too. And you could dress yeah. it up. You could dress it up. You could dress it down. You could just do whatever you want with it. It's just a great just piece. Just do whatever you yeah, want with it, man. Yeah. That's why it's great. James. Uh, James Stacy. I don't think there's a 2019 watch that I would pick. Mm, against, oh, the like, against the rules. Okay. There's a bunch from 2018. BBGMT would be a natural select. I would do the Docs at 50th anniversary, which I have, the sub 300. For 2019, like I want to, if, if I'm starting over again, I want a GMT. I want it with a local jumping movement. And John picked the one from 2019 that would be the other one. So I guess maybe I'd get a Pepsi. We could be like GMT bros. Yeah. But I mean, I'd probably be GMT if I like the, if, if, if it, we didn't have the constraint of the 2019. I think that Black Bay GMT is probably my favorite watch of the last couple of years. Okay. Um, what would I do? I mean, I'm tempted to say the 15202 with the salmon dial, but being a little more realistic than that, uh, ooh, Serpenti, yes, <laughs> yes. Serpenti, Serpenti Stevie. Yeah. All right, I'm in. Phase. Serpenti all day. Uh, I'm going to go with the opposite of the Serpenti. Uh, I might go for one of IWC's new pilot watches, Ooh, um, nice. one of the Spitfires, uh, 39 millimeter steel black dial um, would probably be my move. Uh, if I were allowed to pick the Hodinkee Mark 18, which technically came out this year, uh, that would be my pick. Uh, I own that watch. I love that watch. Uh, I wear it all the time. I'm wearing it right now. Um, but if that's not, if one of our LEs is not, is not on the table, Probably go 39 millimeter steel Spitfire if I was starting over. All right. It's been a year, boys. Yeah. Hey, see you guys next decade. Oh, <laughs> oh with the heat. Uh, guys, James just got up and walked out. So uh, I think that's I think that's it. Thanks. Thanks for doing this and uh, good things in 2020. Next up, we've got my conversation with Ben and Joe about the long-term impact of 2019 in watches. Hey guys, you're in review round two. What's going on, Joe? Ready for you, Steven. <laughs> Born ready. Yeah, we got yes. Ben here too. We got Joe, we got Ben. Hey, everybody. We got the brain trust, and then we got me. <laughs> right. So we got uh, Corhonan over there. We got Corhonan too. He's <laughs> always here. Uh, so I just sat down with John and Cole and James, and we played a little like year in review game, trying to get a sense of like what 2019 looked like in watches and for us. Uh, we have, I have some stuff I want to talk about with the two of you guys, kind of bigger picture stuff about 2019, but... Okay. Uh, before we do that, one of the questions that got asked, I wanted to throw your way to, which was, what do you guys think in the distant future, you know, 25, 50, 100 years from now, people are going to be nostalgic for in watches from 2019? What about this year are people going to look back and be nostalgic about? I would say it was the year that Hodinkee finally sold out, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, well, what happened this year, Joe? You would know better than I. I don't know. Maybe something about steel, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Why did everybody pay so much money for stainless steel watches? Yeah, they probably will not understand. I don't know that they'll be nostalgic about it, but they'll just scratch their head and go, yeah, maybe it will be like, you know, the tulip mania. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in Holland. It's like, yeah. huh? This this steel watch? Why? Um, yeah. That would be my guess. There would be something along those lines. These these ridiculous prices, um, the shortages. What what was going on? Not the brands, to either. I mean, it's the brands are part of it. But even what was going on with watch collectors and people that they were willing to go that they're just going out of their minds yeah. for these steel watches. I think it's funny because like the brands are like barely part of it you know what i mean like they're just doing their thing they're just making the same amount of watches they were before but people are reacting in a really different way correct and i think that will be uh yeah that will that will be astonishing to people yeah i love all the conspiracy theories of like oh the brands are all in on it they're all driving this mania whatever it's like they they want to sell products like they like everybody that's what they do you know they sell watches so if they can't sell watches because people only want one thing like that's not good for them yeah i think you know i think we're already we talked about this i think in the last episode like we're already starting to see things soften a little bit yeah um i mean it's still kind of pandemonium out there but you know like prices of nautilus 5711 softened a little bit and i think like that that's the benchmark for me is that watch. yeah we'll talk about that in a little bit because i want to talk about the secondary market this year, specifically okay. auctions. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, Joe, I want to get your take. Can you give us kind of like a 10,000 foot view of where you think the industry is at right now? Like what did 2019 mean for the watch industry at large? Well, I mean, just taking the macro view, Stephen, uh, I, would, I would just have to say, if you said, what is the state of the industry? It was almost um, as expected. Uh, the backdrop would be they came out. Uh, they came roaring out of 2018. It was the best year in six years if you use Swiss watch, the value of Swiss watch exports as a barometer, which is the commonly used barometer, um, plus six percent, plus six point three percent, and because and because and in the that's because the first half of 2018, Hong Kong and China were red hot. Um, then it slowed down a little bit in the second half, and all the political and f- economic turmoil at the beginning of 2019 made it really, really difficult to forecast. People were very cautious, and they said, well, if, if, if you push me, I would say plus 2, plus 3%. I'd be satisfied with plus 2, plus 3%. Well, through 10 months later, they're at plus 2.7%. And I think that's about where they expected. What they expected trouble, where they got the trouble was from an unexpected place, and that was Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a heartbreaking situation. We all acknowledge that. Um, but the things that they were worried about, the Brexit, the trade wars, um, the slowdown of the Chinese economy, those things were there. They materialized. They weren't terrible. What became terrible uh, was Hong Kong, and that is hurting the market now. Uh, very badly. It's down, uh, exports to Hong Kong are down for seven consecutive months. Wow. So we'll see. And, and, and that, that, that actually did bring the, 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 the global uh, growth down to 2.7%. So it would have been a better year. It was, a, it was sort of better than expected, expect, as expected, a little bit better than expected, but except for the Hong Kong drain. So that, in an overview, obviously the, the monster brands are having monster years. Um, all boats are not lifted even by a 3% rise. But in general, there's that for 2019, I'd say. 
This week's episode is presented by Leica Camera and the new SL2. The SL2 is the latest mirrorless camera from Leica. It builds on the success of the company's original SL, which was first released back in 2015 as a foundation for a new all-purpose camera platform. Since then, the SL system has become a mainstay for professionals and enthusiasts alike. The SL2 brings a number of important new technologies to the table. Most notably, there's a new 47 megapixel full-frame CMOS sensor that offers a totally new level of image quality. It has 14-bit color depth and massive dynamic range, meaning you can capture vivid, rich images in any lighting conditions. There's also the introduction of a special sensor shift stabilization system, which ensures you get sharp results out of the incredible TLL lenses built specifically for the SL system. The system also enables you to get ultra high resolution images up to 187 megapixels when the camera is mounted on a tripod. Finally, there are a number of other small changes that make the SL2 an even better camera than its predecessor. These include improved ergonomics, increased weather sealing, a streamlined menu system, and a bright new electronic viewfinder, making the camera easier and more enjoyable to use than ever. The SL2 is the modern alternative to familiar DSLR systems and compromise-laden mirrorless systems, offering incredible performance, outstanding user experience, and the best lenses in the world. For more on the SL2 and Leica's other cameras and lenses, visit LeicaCamera.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I wonder, Ben, like, do you do you think that that, just like, because obviously the numbers speak for themselves, but like, does that feel right to you? Does it feel like this year's like, up kind of as expected could have been better could have been worse like yeah. you know whatever I, I think first and foremost i mean like we we live in this tiny little bubble th- this bubble where like watches are a thing but like if you talk to like my friends from rochester new york they'd be like wait a minute watches are up period <laughs> you know it's like yeah they're up yeah and you know we're, we're coming off the strongest year in how many years six years last year uh in last year was plus uh, yeah in six years best performance in, in six, six years, years yeah. in 2000 uh, and it's like swiss 18. exports have doubled over the past i think 10 years something like that Right. More or less. So it's like, you know, first of all, like the fact that we're up at all in luxury mechanical watches would shock most people. And like yeah. I've actually shocked quite a few people with that stat very recently. Uh, so, you know, th- that we kind of know this is going on, but people at scale don't. Uh, in terms of like plus 2%, it feels a little strange because here in the US, there is just such like rampant demand for Rolex, Patek, AP, Omega, you know, certain Vacherons, et cetera. Like the steel watches are in such demand that I would ex- like just by gut, it would feel like the, that would be up higher. But again, you know, I'm not living in Hong Kong, which is, you know, dragging the entire market down right now. And Hong Kong is, you know, what number in terms of uh, the most important market in the world? One. It is number one. There you go. That'll, that'll do it. That'll hurt you. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So would you, would you say that Hong, the, the political unrest in Hong Kong is probably the most significant factor impacting worldwide watch sales this year? Uh, yes. Yeah. For sure. Okay. And yet we're still up. Yeah. And yet we're still up. You know, moving moving away from the numbers to something that's a little a little more maybe inside baseball even, um, this was the year that the, the traditional trade show structure began to shift. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've only been in the industry, I guess, what, like seven, eight years? Um, and... As long as I've been in it, you know, Basel and SIHH are these two kind of like monumental, like tentpole moments. They're, they're the two moments that the whole world, watch world, revolves around. That started to change this year. So Swatch Group left. So we had SIHH, we had Basel World, Swatch Group did an event. Some brands started doing these like world tours where they're showing their, their new pieces. It started to break down. And then we've already gotten announcements that it's going to be even more fragmented in 2020. 
Seiko and Grand Seiko are doing their own thing. Some more independents are leaving the shows. Um, SIHH has been rebranded, Watches and Wonders Geneva, and there's going to be stuff outside the shows. So I, I wonder kind of what you guys think about how important this is. Like, does this really matter? Is it all kind of like hand, hand waving and semantics? Like, what what is the impact of this going forward? You want me to go first? Joe, Joe's nodding yes. Uh, <laughs> so for me, and like when I say for me, like I, I, I speak of myself as this the person that that you know leads this company, but also as like a very pragmatic person. Nobody gives a shit. And yeah. like the, the average person does not care about Basel World or the SIHH. They care about the new GMT if they can get it or not. That's it. You know, and then by the way, they don't even care if it's authorized or not, you know? Right. And yeah, so yeah. like if, if people don't even know what an authorized dealer is, they certainly don't give a shit whether Basel and SIHH happen, you know, the same week or not in the same location or not, whatever. Uh, so for me, like I understand its importance to, to the industry, but like it is a real inside baseball thing and does it matter at all to people? Not really. You know, and I think that that is something to to remember for for those of us in the industry. Uh, I mean, I think pragmatically, like in terms of logistics, it will impact us because you know now all the new stuff will come out later. Uh, right. Watch brands will then get feedback from not only us but other retailers and journalists, collectors, etc. Much later in the year, it'll give them far less time to actually make those changes and and produce the watches. Um, so you know, I expect next year to be an off year for many brands. Uh, because, you know, the, the trade shows, and you know, if you're talking about the Richemont brands, we're talking about three, four months later, we're talking a quarter later than, than, than previously. So that means like, you know, most of these, most of these brands start delivering their, their year, you know, beginning year novelties in the fall, if they're lucky. Yeah. A lot of times delivery happens around now, which is holiday. Uh, I think a lot of those would be deliveries will be, you know, if there's any production delay, we're talking the following year. So, you know, like brands results are driven by new releases, if, no matter who you are. Uh, and so I think it could really have a negative impact on like sales results. What that really matters, does that matter at all to consumers? Not really, but like to the Joe Thompsons of the world, I, I think it, it probably matters. Yeah. So you, you think there's a risk that the, the only sort of like consumer facing risk for all of this is that like, if the brands can't get the pieces You're in the stores gonna, yeah. by November, December, it's going to be a problem. Correct. I mean, okay. I think like, you know, I think brands are Rolex in particular, I've noticed Omega as well, are starting to pay attention to having their product you know, because they're good at what they do. They know how to forecast. Like Rolex is yeah. not going to change the new Submariner because Stevie P says he likes this and not that, you know? No Damn. offense, yeah. Damn. Uh, there are other brands that will really take feedback from even Stevie P uh, okay. and make changes on it, you know? So I think like, it'll just mean that like, you know, if Rolex normally delivers, say their, you know, their new steel sports watch deliveries begin in June after Basel World happens in March, we're now thinking, okay, Basel is when? April, May, something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's end of Early April, May. first week of May. Yeah. Early May. So, I mean, so we're talking like August, but we know there's Watchmaker's Holiday, right? So the first delivery of the new Rolex is usually happened before the Watchmaker's Holiday. Now it will not. So then you have to add on probably two to three weeks for that. So you're talking like September now, and that just changes the entire calendar, you know? Yeah. So I think that, that sales might suffer uh, for brands simply because of that fact. Interesting. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, my take as the... Uh, Hadingi's business reporter and sort of industry reporter is that it does matter. I mean, it, 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 one of the, the points I have been thinking about and, and have remarked privately is that in, um, in evaluating the impact of all this, there are still many brands at Basel, these are the smaller brands, that do rely on that show. We, we, we are so sort of focused on the brands, the bigger brands, who don't really need the show. Therefore, Mr. Breitling can pull out and Mr. Seiko can pull out and Mr. Swatch Group 
can pull out of the show. They can still command um, their, their, their clients to come to thus and so uh, and have the press come. But for the brands that are still there, the mid-sized brands, and just it's, make it brand X that, that's in the back of Hall 1 uh, in the watch hall at Baselworld or up on the second floor, they do still rely on the old-fashioned, this is where I see my customers. My customers will come here to see other brands, but I get a chance. This is my opportunity to, to, to occasionally pick up, a, let's say, a new customer. Gives me a chance to, to get the feedback that I need to know what to do in terms of my production. When this, if this show does not survive, or if it shrinks even further than it has already shrunk, and it has lost 1,000 exhibitors in the past three years, it's down to 520 exhibitors totally uh, last year. When that goes away, some of these brands will have a much harder time because they, they you know, the, the answer was, well, you go digital. We'll have to see how all that works out. So there is an impact um, on the industry for that. So we'll have to see, and, and the brands, there's no doubt that the shows really need to reinvent themselves. They're in the process of doing that now. It's impossible for us to evaluate how successful they will be. This is both Basel World and the new, uh, the new SIHH, which is Watches and Wonders Geneva. But uh, it's a transitional time. Obviously, uh, e-commerce, uh, digital, all of these factors are, are, are wreaking havoc on, uh, on these trade shows. But I do think it matters. Okay. And, and you know, you talked about the, the small to medium-sized brands. And I wonder if we look back at what happened, you know, this is a much more dramatic situation. But if we look back at the, the quartz crisis, a whole bunch of brands went out of business or had to be, you know, folded together and kind of like cobbled into a different brand. Do, do you think that with the explosion of new brands or revived brands over the last, you know, 10 years, let's say, do you think that maybe these new industry dynamics are going to force another sort of like culling of the herd, like that the industry, the number of total brands is going to shrink? Well, it's a funny thing. That was supposed to happen in the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. I mean, there, 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 were, there were people who predicted and who welcomed and who cheered on the fact that Switzerland's five to 600 brands uh, would go down to about 200. I mean, that's, that's always the question. Do we really need 500 Swiss watch brands? It didn't happen. It didn't happen because of the revival uh, uh, of, of the emergence of China and uh, the luxury watch consumer in China, the traveling, the tourist literally saved the Swiss watch industry in 2010. We had a recession, had a V-shaped recession, down 22% in 2009, up 22% in 2010, and there was no fallout. It may be that, uh, that this does begin the culling of the herd. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to see. I kind of hope there is a culling of the watch brands. I've said this many times in the past. Yeah. There, there's just too many. Yeah. There's so few brands that, that really matter, that really resonate with people at scale. Um, so I would be completely okay if we lost a few, like we, you know, as, as Joe's just mentioning, like, do we really need 500 Swiss watch brands? Like, I just, I don't think we do. And I'm like the greatest champion of watchmaking there, there could be, you know? Yeah. No, no. Um, so I just, I, I would be com completely okay if we lost a few. Uh, and I think also like, you know, just in considering how like homogenous tastes are becoming these days, it's going to happen. You know, it's like now if you're basically not a top five brand, it's pretty tough out there, you know, at least in this market in the yeah. U.S. People want the same five brands uh, and that's only going to get stronger. Um, 
you know, unless things change. I mean, I think there's, you know, we, we just talked about there's a little bit of softening of the steel stuff. Uh, I think people are getting a little bit fed up with the same old stuff. So maybe we'll get back to, you know, individualized taste, but yeah. maybe not. Yeah, I, w- I wonder what do you guys think the most kind of like underreported or under talked about storyline is in watches from 2019? Like what is something you're both so keyed into the industry and in relatively different ways? I- I'm just personally curious, like what do you think is the big 2019 watch story that like no one's talking about? It's just like not out there. Well, the one that I've, raised occasionally i'm not i'm not sure of the impact one is the the tremendous erosion in quartz watch production in switzerland over the past five years it's mm. gone it's fallen from about 20 million a year uh down to uh below 16 million um and the question here uh is uh, look 80 percent 80 percent of the output of the swiss watch industry is quartz it's still quartz so it's jobs um, it's it's uh, it's it's production of the of uh, uh, the appearance parts, things like that. So, from an industry standpoint, that's a risk. Another one I might point to uh, would be sort of what's going on, sort of in the luxury pre-owned market, the organization of of this market with uh, Richemont's acquisition of Watchfinder, and uh, with Watchbox, the emergence and growth of Watchbox, just to see how a more organized uh, pre-owned market affects, of just affects the, the industry in general. Great. Yeah, I think, you know, from a totally different perspective, which is, you know, more kind of collector focused, I think it's the softening of vintage watches. Like I think yeah. that, that that market has changed dramatically over the last 12 months and nobody's really talked about it. Uh, like just pricing of the, these once kind of just like dominant, you know, like upward trajectory watches is, is just dramatic. Like Daytona, 6263, 6239s, the watches that everybody assumed would just continue to rise forever have fallen. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's difficult because like, you know, if you showed me a new old stock example, box papers, whatever, it would still fetch a crazy price, probably higher than the year before. But the average watch has has sunken, uh, and I think not too many people are talking about it. Um, and I, you know, I I think it's good. I think it's it's healthy. Things were way too frothy for for a little little bit of time there. Um, but yeah, I think vintage watches have have had a moment, and I have several friends, just anecdotally, that are you know in media in New York, like not hardcore watch guys, but have one or two really nice things, and they're just like, hey, I'm I'm kind of over this, like. I'm going to liquidate my vintage by one great, whatever, new watch and keep it for the rest of my life and and kind of move on. Yeah. Do you, what, what do you think is causing that? Cause it's definitely something I've, I've noticed and I've talked to people about kind of anecdotally, like whether it's collectors or dealers or whatever, but yeah. I wonder what you think, like, what is the root cause? I think, I think there that? are a few, I think first and foremost, like, you know, things got so crazy after the Paul Newman sale yeah. that caught, that drew so much attention to this category for like, just like your average wealthy guy in New York or LA or Geneva, Paris, whatever. And it's, you know how it is. It's like the, you know, the, the last one in first one out. It's like these yeah. guys put 120 grand into a big red because somebody told them that it'll be worth 170 or whatever. And then, you know, once they saw it dip to like 110, they're like, all right, fuck it, I'm out. And they sold it. And now that watch is worth 85 or whatever. And that's basically the numbers that I'm seeing these days. So I think it just became like a product of mega hype after the Paul Newman sale and warranted because that was an amazing thing. Um, now just coming back down to reality. And to be clear, 85,000 for a 6263 is still dramatically higher than what it was like five years ago, but it's also dramatically lower than what it was one year ago. I guess as we, as we head into 2020, let's look forward a little bit. Um, 
I mean, it's also a new decade, but the the 20 teens have, I would say, overall been relatively good for for watches and, and watch lovers and watch collectors. Um, I wonder, like, what do each of you want to see heading into the next decade? Like, what do you hope happens and what would you would you like to see go on? I just want to see more of Joe Thompson all the time. Dude, me too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I want too. him to, to share an office. I want him to cohabitate with me in, uh, okay. in my office. There's room you know? for two of you in there, right? Joe, what do <laughs> whatever you, think? you say, boss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I think for, for for me, you know, and look, I'm as guilty as anybody. I love a good steel sports watch. We got to get over this. Like, we yeah. just have to get back to like individualized decisions here. Like, make a call based on what you actually like, not on what you see on Instagram. I think something that that is not, you know, I, we have no data on it, of course. But again, anecdotally, like Instagram in the watch world feels like there's a bit of a pushback now like a lot of my collector friends are like this is shitty like i don't like being attacked on here i don't like being attacked for my watch on here i don't like being asked if everything is for sale uh it feels like there's a little bit of pushback on instagram as a medium to talk about watches uh which i think is is warranted uh so i think i'm excited to see that uh, in 2020 uh, but yeah i think you know just just moving away from this like hey like these five watches matter and, and nothing else does uh mindset uh, I'm pretty pumped to see that change. Yeah, I got to I got to say that's the thing I'm most looking forward to is is like you said the diversification of taste again. It's like it's boring, you yeah. know, and maybe maybe Dude. it's because we do this all day every day, but it's like I'm so sick of looking at the same 10 watches and talking about the same 10 watches yes. like I just want something new and interesting. It doesn't even have to be a thing I like. 100%. I just want to see something new. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, like, you know, dining at, like, these, like, nicer restaurants in downtown New York and living down here, et cetera, it's like, and then once people find out who I am, the, the common question I get from these, like, finance bros or entrepreneurs or whatever is like, hey, dude, like, can you get me an Aquanaut? Can you get me a Daytona? It's just like, first of all, no. And even if I could, <laughs> I wouldn't give it to you. I'd give it to, like, the 25 other people that actually know, like Grayson, that wants one, you know? And it's just like, it's just, it gets so tiring that like, yeah. the, it's basically like if you don't have, like, at least in New York, which is obviously a very, very small kind of subset of humanity. Like if you don't have a Nautilus or an Aquanaut, like people don't even want Rolex anymore. They only want Aquanaut and uh, a Nautilus. Like you're not, you're not killing it, you know? Yeah. And so it's just like, oh my God, like this just has to stop here. Yeah. It really does. It feels like it's that way in LA too, kind of in oh, London. for sure. Like it's yeah. definitely like that other places, yeah. big major cities and it's, it's rough. Yes, it is rough. It's real rough. I realized it had like reached ahead when the other day somebody showed me a Tiffany signed Aquanaut and I was just like, yeah, fine. Yeah. That's I it. was just like, I was like not even excited and I was like, huh, like yeah. a year ago I would have been pumped to It's see funny. That. I like, so I have, I have one Aquanaut and one Nautilus as you, as you guys know. And, uh, the Nautilus for some reason, like I give it a pass because it is his icon and totally. it's like, you know, it's, it's, I view it in a different thing. The question that I get the most from like kind of my idiot friends and I love you all idiot friends is can you get me a 5164 the the travel time aquanaut that yeah. has become the like rich guy or like rich young guy like watch of choice and i don't know if it's because mayor loves it or whatever but so many guys like that's my watch like that's like it just it fits my lifestyle you know like you know that like that is what everybody <laughs> says so, like i'm a rich guy who gets on airplanes exactly. lifestyle exactly cool. exactly i mean that watch <laughs> is just like I, i'm not even kidding this is not an exaggeration i've been asked by people that i'm like pretty good friends with for that watch no less than 10 times in the past month Sweet. Ten times. Sweet. And Being like, Ben Climber sounds awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like, ugh, you know, whatever, dude. It's just, it's it's so intense <laughs> that like all these guys that are, you know, that are friends of mine, just like, that's what they want. They want yeah. that one watch. It's lame. Joe? Asking me? I the, the thing I hope happens 
is more, is that this prediction uh, that I hear more and more from people, which is that smartwatches are actually causing the millennials and Gen Z and whatever's coming to re to discover, not rediscover, but to discover the joys of wearing a watch actually bears out. Because, I mean, the forecasts for smartwatches are, are ridiculous. I mean, 132 million by 2023, et cetera. That's one respected forecaster. So they're going to be around. Um, and the threat that they originally had seemed to pose, um, the speculation about the Swiss, I think it was always sort of far-fetched. But even in the mid-range, um, it, if, if it turns out that, as people are saying, well, as one quote that we had from Reg Brack, it's a gateway drug for, pe for, for young people to wear the, uh, any other kind of uh, uh, wristwatch, quartz, mechanical, whatever. If that, if that happens, then that will be a good development. All right. So that's what we want to see. Joe, what do you think we're going to see in the near future? What, do you have any predictions or any analysis for 2020 what are we going to be sitting here talking about a year from now tell us about the future joe yeah well this is this is exactly right and i say this all the time it is it's hard enough for me to figure out what's already happened the idea that i know anything about what's going to happen is ridiculous nevertheless i can joe, joe is so modest man he's the uh, most modest, he's the modest well, mouse, yeah there's yeah, I mean, much to be modest about <laughs> as churchill said of clement attlee um but yeah, things I'm looking to see and the things that, that, that I would be watching, I mean, will this, this, this uh, Chinese consumer that has carried the luxury Swiss watch industry for 10 years now, since the great crash, it represents, I mean, people say about or at or more than half of the uh, Swiss luxury watch sales uh, come from the Chinese consumer. Will that continue? Um, there's no sign that really it is slowing down. The Hong Kong that we're talking about, you're talking about 2020, of course, there would still be trouble in Hong Kong. But they've moved elsewhere. They've moved to, to Japan. Japan's uh, up 25% uh, in, Swiss luxury ex in Swiss watch exports for this year. So we'll see if that holds up. Um, other things, well, yeah, what, what, what will be the, uh, the havoc to the mid-market that's Swatch, uh, that's, uh, smartwatches are causing. We, we know that that's pretty much driven Seiko to focus more now on Grand Seiko. Mm. We know the results of that, what the res results. Fossil has lost um, uh, a billion, literally billions a billion of dollars. dollars since the launch. Oh, of, Where's of, the share price right now? Oh, it was in the teens, 14, yeah, something good. like that. Um, and But in, in four years since, uh, you know, uh, 2015 when the Apple Watch showed up. I mean, nearly a billion off the top line. That's a bummer for them, That's huh? tough. So yeah, that's tough to survive. Share price closed today at 753 Oh, back down again. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, that that's, uh, you know, we were, that was a three, three point something billion dollar company. Um, uh, and what what will happen? Yeah, in, in that whole in that whole range, that the the, the Seiko Boulevard Citizen. How will those those historic brands uh, that uh, were, were monster brands in there? How will they deal with uh, with this growing uh, smartwatch trend? So that's something also for 2020. Obviously, the Hong Kong situation. Um, 
What do you want to see from Steven in 2020? Joe? Oh, boy. Just more of the same, Steven. Oh, this guy's the best. Joe, you are welcome on this show anytime. <laughs> Just becomes Joe and me talking about all my work, how good my work is. That's uh, that's what we make Hodinky Radio. Uh, man, that's the good stuff right there. Uh, ben, I wonder... Yeah, we talk about this idea of like diversification of taste. Do you think that's coming in 2020 realistically or you think nah, probably not? No. I mean, right? I think I think it's it's got to get worse before it gets better. I oh, think, you think it's getting worse before it gets better? I think I think so. Okay. I, th- I think, you know, I think next year people are going to like so many of your idiot friends and I use that term like pretty loosely here. Yeah. Like, you know, you're my idiot friend, you know. Yeah, I mean? of course. So many of all, all my friends are idiot exactly. friends. Yeah. All of your collective idiot friends are going to want the same watches and you're just going to be like this sucks. I'm going the total opposite direction and wearing like, I don't know, fucking Frederic Constant or something like that. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Slimline Frederic Constant or something, you know, of, of that nature. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those things where like it becomes so uncool to wear a steel watch for people that are like in the know that like it, it's going to change. It's going to flip. The script yeah. will be flipped. Okay. Uh, so for like the watch guys that like it was a cool thing to get the new Batman or the new Pepsi or Daytona or whatever. Uh, it was cool to have that stuff for anybody else. Now so many other people are going to have it. You're going to want to go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've, we've already seen where like I've talked to guys who said like, oh yeah, my AD offered me a 5711 and I didn't buy it. Because like no one would assume I bought it at retail. Everybody's going to assume I paid 2x and that I like hustled for it. And then I look like an asshole. I'm that guy who paid $50,000 for a time-only Nautilus. Or like I'm that guy who paid $25,000 for the new Rolex GMT. And like if that's starting to happen to like not the people in this office, Mm -hmm. I think think what you're talking about is is pretty spot on. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I can just like anecdotally, like, you know, we did this pop-up recently in New York. Yeah. And I was there for you know, a few days working from like, you know, whatever it was, 11 o'clock till seven o'clock. So figure eight or nine hours. I probably saw 20 Pepsi GMTs new on Jubilee each day I was there. 20, you know, like I didn't see two. I saw 20. And this is just the people that happened to come into our store that day. Yeah. So it's like these things are out there. And I think once people realize how many of them are actually out there, the, the sentiment's going to change a lot. Yeah. It's funny. The idea of like knowing how many are out there. Is that, is that something you think is affecting the vintage market too? I mean, these watches that like, even, I mean, I wrote about this the other day, but like, even if we look at like Paul Newman's, mm-hmm. right? Like you and I collectively could make phone calls for 10 minutes and find a dozen Paul Newman's for sale. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's not, they're not as rare as people once thought they were. Yeah. Uh, and do you think that kind of like the increase in, in scholarship and awareness of the actual rarity of these things is affecting the vintage market? I do. I, I think Instagram is at once pushing vintage and also killing it you know because like like paul newman's to find like a really good one like one that like i would like encourage you or a friend to buy would take some digging for sure right but we could certainly find 10 paul newman's for sale but if you go on instagram everybody has a 5711 or a mark one oyster paul newman which is impossible to find if you actually want to buy one it's also six hundred thousand dollars uh you know i think instagram has overexposed these hyper rare things um, whether it's a, a great car or watch or, you know, home or, or anything like it's just, you know, the, the FOMO is so real on Instagram that like, it just, it doesn't make anything feel good anymore. You know, it, it makes you be like, okay, like every, it, every rich idiot I know has a X, Y, and Z has a Paul Newman Daytona or something like that. And so it just like, it, it, it takes the fun away from it. Um, so I do think, uh, I do think Instagram at one point really, really built this market over the last few years. But I think at this point is like, is, is, is hurting 
the specialness of it. And like it's taking the fun away from from it for a lot of people. All right, so I'm gonna ask you to do some taste making uh, real real quick. Classic Ben Clymer. Uh, so if you're somebody who's looking for a new watch and you don't want to be wearing one of these like steel bracelet sport watches, like what what's another place to look? Like what are a couple watches people should at least take a look at that might be a refreshing answer? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, we wrote the story or I wrote the story in 2013 that was like, I forget how many number of watches, but like these watches should be worth more than they are. Yeah. And I'm actually, I just started to, to rework that story to, to come out in early 2020. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear more of this, but I'll give you a little preview. Like any yellow gold vintage paddock complication, like a 1463 sells for the same price as a Tiffany Science Steel 5711. Like that makes no sense. It just makes no, like you're talking Patek Philippe versus Patek Philippe, complication versus not, vintage versus modern. Like it, ma- it makes no sense. So, you know, vintage yellow gold complicated paddocks, I think are, are really compelling. Um, I think really anything on a strap is, is compelling, you know? And I think like, you know, we've talked about this with Mayer, I think in Talking Watches, like there's this, like this, this idea that like, cool things don't come on straps, right? I mean, if you look at like like Ellen, who has an amazing watch collection, show me one time she's worn a watch on a strap. Like people just don't do it in Hollywood. Drake yeah. has gotten into it a little bit recently. I think he's got a 5971 or 5271. But like most of these rappers and celebrities, and et cetera, are only wearing bracelet watches. Uh, so I think anything on a strap, um, you know, some special longas. Um, I just, I just want to see like these beautifully made things get the appreciation that, that they deserve. And again, I'm not talking about micro brands here. Like, you know, uh, Acrivia, of course, Dufour, of course, Jorn, of course. But like, we're talking like Patek Philippe here, you know, like we're, we're talking about Longa. Like these are mainstream brands. Like they just like refocus on where you're, where you're looking within those brands that you're already looking at, I would say. Yeah. I love uh, Davey on our, our video team. Uh, has a white dial oyster perpetual. He does, and he was wearing it on the bracelet for a while, and then he was like, "I just, I, I don't, want, I don't want to be wearing it on the bracelet." So he put it on a double wrap Hermes strap. He did. Uh, that's awesome. That's a move. Dave, is you have nice to be level. cool like Dave, but it's awesome. I'm not that cool. For sure. I'm not that cool either. No, for Joe. Sure. Joe's that cool. Joe's that cool. <laughs> so, yeah. For sure, yeah. I am not that cool. Dave is also wearing a kimono today. That's also true. Dave is also full disclosure. Dave is also wearing and like, but successfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Dave yeah. looks great. Yeah, sitting right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I'll be, I am curious about is to see if Apple, which is now claims to be the number one watch in the world. You say claims to be? You have doubts about that? (laughs) I need data. Oh, I need data. All right. They issue no data. So that's their claim. Um, But uh, we know what the progression generally is with regard to Apple products, that they they will now sort of uh, go up market a bit, bit by bit, add value to it. Now, will that, uh, and some people predict this and look for this, will they make a bid to go out of what is the traditional mid-range of the, the U.S. watch market, let's say up to $800, and then start to move into the, the luxury segment. That original, their original push was unsuccessful, it was premature, but let's see what happens with that. Do you ben, think they'll do that? I, it, it, it's conceivable, we'll have to see as the audience, uh, you know, as they, they, they've, got, they've got the audience, if they can add value to this and make that watch, uh, you know, uh, up above $1,000, right. it could then start to impact that one to three range for the Swiss. It's funny, I, my, my gut says that they, that they won't successfully do that, they might try it, but I guess having said that, I recently saw that you can now spec a Mac Pro up to what, like $52,000? Yeah, like you that. can spec it crazy high. 
So I wonder if you could do that with the Apple Watch. Interesting. More concretely, I wonder if I can do that with the Apple Right. Watch. I was going to say, really, what Ben wants to know is, how much money will you take from me to give me a single Apple Watch unit? That's really the question. Is uh, Yeah, as, as with most things in this world. Um, to look, we'll, we'll finish by looking back, but uh, I wanted to know, what is your favorite story that's appeared on Houdinki this year? I am so glad you asked. Oh, perfect. I really am. Good. I, I, I knew Joe, I knew Joe would come armed. I absolutely urge everybody who is listening that if you did not see our story or entitled An Eight-Year-Old Dreams of a Rolex Sprite GMT. Mm, yeah. I just want you to go to the site, click on the search button, and just put in Rolex Sprite GMT. It's a three-paragraph story handled brilliantly by James Stacy, and it's the story of what happened when the son uh, of Mo Ali, who is our director of product and strategy, visited the office one day, was inspired by what he saw our designers doing, went home and did his own design, and, and then inspired our own designers to do theirs and to see what happened with, uh, with, with that story. It is in a year that was uh, full of, uh, you know, some, some, some rougher moments for the industry, et cetera. Uh, I, just, I just found that story to be so delightful. And the way James Handel, <laughs> James Handel, he says in there, we do love his vision of a world where all great sodas, not you, RC Cola. <laughs> Channeling his own eight-year-old. <laughs> But it's, it's brilliantly done. It's not, a, not an easy story to write. It looks easy. He makes it look easy, but it's, it's, it's so well done, and it's a great story. That's my favorite. For Amazing. Until, until the day that you die, how much will a can of soda cost to you? Because I know what it cost to me. Like when I was a kid, when my dad would give me like money to go buy a soda oh, from man. the machine. You're talking to, to a, a, an ancient human here. What, I mean, I'm just what curious. did it cost? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Jesus. But see, the memory goes. That's the trouble. So, um, I, what did we used to put in a machine to get a a, a dime? <laughs> okay. <laughs> to get okay. a soda? Yeah. All right. Yeah, not much. Yeah. Ben, how much is a soda for you? Seventy-five cents. Interesting. Always. I yeah. think a soda's a dollar. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Grayson's saying two dollars. Yeah. yeah. Wait, two dollars? Yeah. Uh, this is the oldest oldest thing I've ever yeah. said. Can't imagine paying two dollars for a can of. I can't <laughs> imagine paying a dime. Yeah, for I mean, a dime would be amazing. Just, you know, we, yeah. uh, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben. What was your favorite story from the year? There, there were some good ones this year. You know, I, I thankfully and thankfully for all of you, did not do much writing this year. Uh, so I think we're changing of, that in 2020, baby. Oh shit, are we? Ooh, maybe. <laughs> Joe's is true. That's um, the plan. I think my, you know, Cole Pennington's "The Wash Came In From the Cold" from the magazine was great. I love that for many reasons. I love the, the design layout of it in print. Yeah. I also love the way that our team handled it digitally, and I loved his little, you know, dramatic reading of it uh, yeah. on the pod. Um, but I think even on top of that was the story, of the the tutor from Vietnam. Uh, that to me was a wonderful combination of like, just like it, it basically just defined why people could love a watch or like why watches matter very succinctly. Uh, our team, James, again, did a great job narrating that one. Will and the whole gang on the video department did a great job as well. Uh, Davey, of course, kimono wearing Dave. Um, you know, I mean, just, just a wonderful feature. I mean, it was, it was like a mini doc. It wasn't like a standard, yeah. like web feature. Uh, I thought that was great and something that we were all definitely proud of for sure. Yeah, that was uh that was actually going to be my answer. Um, Sorry, 
no, that's all right. I, I think it's uh, anything we can do that makes watches feel a little bigger than they are, a little mm. more important. I mean, you know, spending a lot of time around people who are passionate about watches, it's easy to forget that, like, for most people, a watch is not something they ever think about in their lives, mm. you know? Yet for a, a lot of us and our friends and the people we we interact with through Hodinkee, they're tremendously meaningful and they carry all this kind of like baggage and emotion. And I really enjoyed seeing that in a way where like neither of these guys are watch enthusiasts, but at the same time, like this watch is a tremendously important thing to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and the storytelling was beautiful. It was really ambitious. It didn't pull any punches. Um, I also want to shout out, uh, the package we did in partnership with IWC, Mm -hmm. uh, with these three pilots, um, yes, it was, it was partnership content. We created it with IWC. Um, but the level of like extremely ambitious visual storytelling and narrative storytelling, uh, was awesome. And I actually think despite the fact that it, it was partially a commercial product, uh, is, is some of the coolest, uh, most exciting storytelling we've done. Uh, so I am, I am on board for that. And, and I think, you know, Hopefully, despite the fact that it, again, was was an IWC partnership, I, I think, you know, I've watched each of the videos probably half a dozen times, and, and I enjoy them, and I think they're they're great journalism uh, at the end of the day. So that that was exciting for me. Here's to you, Mr. Gray. Yeah, Mr. Corhonan, shooting out of airplanes. <laughs> shooting out of Are we going to be doing more of that in uh, 2020? <laughs> more airplanes? The 2020 is the year of the prop plane uh, okay. here, here at Hodinkee. All right. Nicely done, guys. Thank you very much. Can't think of a better way to uh, wrap up 2019 than sitting here and talking shit with the two of you. Thank you, Stephen. It's always a pleasure. Indeed. Thank you, guys. Awesome. See you next year, guys. This week's episode was recorded at Hodinkee HQ in New York City and was produced and edited by Grayson Corhonan. Please remember to subscribe and rate the show. It really does make a difference for us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in 2020.